what we're going to do today is um, we're going to look at Ephesians 5, the last part, and the first part of Ephesians 6 while we're in this series. We're going to hit Ephesians 6 today. I didn't know this day would come when we started this series in September. I'm joking, obviously. Um, but what we're going to do is actually read through a pretty big chunk of text. I thought to myself, today's church really struggles to read this much of the Bible in a corporate setting, but hey, uh, it's good for us, so you know, just put your focus hat on and you can do it. Um, we're going to read that in a second, but I wanted to give you guys two disclaimers up front, okay? Everybody good with that? So here's number one. You don't have to agree with us. Shocking. In today's world. The typical church would say to you, what the pastor says is what you are now obligated to believe. I don't really see a biblical precedent for that, personally. I think it's helpful to hear them out, to ask good questions, to take it before the Lord for yourself. But we are not your God. Thank the Lord for that, right? We are people God chose to help provoke thoughts in you to lead you to your God. That's the way it's supposed to work. So our intention today, we're probably going to challenge some thoughts that you've had, and that's okay. So what our expectation, that's our disclaimer, and our expectation is that you would take this to the Lord. So after we talk about it today and as you journey into your week, that you would take these thoughts and say, okay, Lord, what do you think about these? Help me. Help me figure this out for myself. Does that make sense? So I wholeheartedly believe that's the best way to teach and preach. Um, we're not looking for conformity in our minds. We're looking for unity surrounding around the person of Jesus, but we're not looking for communism, right? That's weird. We want to be able to think for ourselves. That's what being an adult is. So that's a little disclaimer. All right, Grant's going to read for you a long amount of scripture. So if you want to do it on your phone, is it going to be screen? It's going to be on the screen. Do you want to go on your phone? Yeah. Uh, the screen's going to be ESV. So, it's okay. All right. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. And we're going to read on, okay? Um, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Say, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so as also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for them, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his, loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Jesus Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long with them. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Verse 5, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, 
as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their masters and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with Probably noticed that part that we stumbled on was the part about men loving their wives. Oh. Oh. Totally. Um, okay, sorry to have on the screen for you, but we made it through a giant portion of text. The reason why we wanted to read that whole section was to see if you were awake. No, just kidding. Um, it's going to be a fun morning, so you guys can laugh. Um, the reason why we went over that whole section is because I really think there's a theme happening. In the book of Ephesians, we touched on that last week, but especially in this chapter 5 to the beginning part of chapter 6. Remember, when Paul wrote this, he did not write it with numbers next to it, right? These were not tweets. These aren't standalone thoughts. These are like a continuous flow of information. So if we pull out one verse or two verses and then we make it a standalone thought, we're really missing what was there. So the whole book of Ephesians, again, is this concept of it's the revelation of our identity that we've now been positioned in Christ. We're now essentially seated in heavenly places. We are located in Christ is what Ephesians actually tells us with that. And then it goes into what's required of you because of your identity, walking in a manner worthy of that calling. And then here's what that manner looks like. So we're still in that vein of this flow. There's an interesting thing happening in chapter five where it's all of these things I believe are overarching under the umbrella of life in the spirit. So I mentioned to you guys the last couple of weeks, I've been calling it the open heaven lifestyle. It's kind of an, an easy way to make sense of what does it mean to be connected to Christ all the time and be able to live in our, in our lives and work and live, work and be in our lives. So there's this overarching theme. So what's essentially happening here is the theme is life in the spirit. Now that you are in Christ, what does your life look like? And then Paul breaks it down into your actions and your words. We talked about that last week. Um, and then this is about your relationships. So he's not throwing in like a standalone thought about marriage, you know, husbands, love your wives, wives submit to your husbands, as if it's like unconnected to anything else here. It's absolutely connected to what does it look like to live in the spirit and from the Holy Spirit in your life in all these things, in the words you speak, in the way you use your body, and what you put into your body. We talked about that with like alcohol and whatnot last week. In how you, um, in your relationships, and your marriage, with your children, and in your work environment. Now, let's be realistic. There were slaves in that day and age, and so this is a, a challenging portion of scripture we're not going to dive into today about that. But I think there's an application we could look at it today with in your business environment. That the, the employee-type relationships that you have. That's not exactly what he's saying, but it applies to that. So in all of these areas, there is this theme, this is what it looks like to live by the Spirit. So today we wanted to sort of talk about marriage, and specifically, what does a kingdom marriage look like? Because I don't know about you, but this text is really hard to wrap your mind around, especially as a woman. It can be really hard to wrap your mind around, and we've kind of, kind of been on both sides of the pendulum where he grew up in a, a sort of a conservative Baptist-type home, where you grew up Baptist in middle school and high school. Neither one of us really went to churches, small children. I grew up in a Methodist home. We met at a Baptist college. We have a lot of conservative thinking that has shaped us, and then the Lord's brought us way on the other end of that and everything in between. And um, the journey that we've been on has been one that has come back to this particular text for our marriage and saying, what does this really look like? 
like, God, what is really your heart? And how do we bring in your heart and be respectful of who we are and how all that works? So um, we're going to dive into that on a much greater detail in a moment. But I wanted to tell you, well, I'll get into that in a second. Okay, so Grant, talk to us about submission. So when you read these verses, you can read them again if you want to. What does submission mean to you? Yeah, Rachel, thank you very much. All right, what I find is most often, I feel like um, what the church has done is taken this scripture and, like, the, especially the men have been like, women, submit to me! Ah! <laughs> right? And uh, that's pretty much the end of it. So today, we want to crush that. Uh, because what we forget to do is look at the context of the scriptures, okay? So Joseph Prince tells us that the text without context is just a con. All right, so um, we have to look at the context. But verse 22, wives submit yourselves to your husbands, completely forgets about verse 21, which is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Amen? So the whole, the whole picture here is big picture, submit to each other in Christ. Women to men, men to women, children to parents, parents to children, like the whole thing together as a big family of Christ, they have to go together. So... The question that I'm supposed to answer right now is, what does submission look like? So, a couple things I think we need to look at is when it says in verse 21, submit to one another. What does that word, um, in another scripture says, subject to one another. What does that actually mean? So, if you look in the Greek, that word subject to one another, the word is hypotasso in the Greek. The Strong says it means to put under, to be subject to, or to submit to. In other words, it's to subject yourself or to yield to somebody else's admonition or advice. It comes from the Greek military words. It was the meaning to arrange troops and divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. Okay, So it was a Greek military word basically saying come into rank and file, getting ready for a project, getting ready for um, war, basically. So hypotasso. Is what that means. In a non-military use, it means to voluntarily give in, cooperate, assume responsibility, and carry the burden for somebody else. Okay? Y'all tracking with me? So submit, at first glance, is like, you know, be a slave. But there's so much more to submission. And to me, it's a willing yieldedness to the Father. So in the Gospels, we see um, the Gospels call Jesus meek and mild. Y'all remember hearing that before? So what does that word meekness mean? Um, to me, what it means, it's a great example is like a horse, a, a huge, strong horse. We were just in the Arbuckle Mountains. Eli got to do some horseback riding for the first time in his whole life. And the guy's up there, and he's telling us, look, our smallest horse, our baby horse, is 900 pounds. So don't mess with these horses, little fifth grade boys. <laughs> um, but, but the whole idea is that these huge horses that can be you know, up to a couple thousand pounds, when you put a bridle into a horse's mouth, when you put the bridle in the horse's mouth, does it take away the power of the horse, the strength of the horse? Of course not. The strength of the horse is still there, but something inside that horse's heart submits willingly to the desires, those little tiny pulls and tugs of the reins to go where the master wants to go. It's because the horse trusts the master in a sense and, and believes that the master's going to take care of them. I don't know why we're going this way, but it's going to make sense. It'll be okay. I'm happy to go that way. So when the gospel is called Jesus meek, to me, you see Jesus with 
tremendous power and authority, more than anybody who's ever walked the earth. And here he is holding himself back, being fully submitted to the Father, only doing what the Father desires to do, even though he could have done anything he wanted to do, right? So this word submission, to me, it's that yieldedness, that understanding of I'm going to, but I'm not going to do what I could do for the better good of the whole. I'm going to trust this other person or this leader in the military sense. You have a soldier who comes in and they surrender their life to follow the top leader, whichever direction they want to go. And so it may not make perfect sense to that soldier, why are we going this direction? But they're ultimately giving of themselves to be able to serve the, the bigger vision. Okay. So to me, submission is yieldedness. And um, it's all about subjecting yourself and yielding yourself to the Father and to Jesus and to the family for the greater good of what the Father wants to do. Okay? So to me, what submission looks like, the context again is so important. In the time when this was written, women were pretty much possessions, right? Women were property. And so Paul is actually doing something really revolutionary that's hard to see in our world. When he instructs men to love your wives, that was not a very common thing, actually. In that time, women were looked at as property I'm sure there were plenty of men who did love their wives, but it was certainly not the theme, right? That just wasn't the way it was. And so when he's telling them, hey, actually, you are called to love your wife, that was something really significant and revolutionary in that time period. I want to say that God has never been harsh towards women. The culture and society has been really harsh towards women, but God himself has never actually put women in a place that was really inferior to men. In fact, you look at the Garden of Eden, Adam wasn't complete until Eve was by his side. The commission to go out and conquer the world was given to both of them together. It wasn't given to Adam, and then Eve's instruction was to, like, make him dinner when he came home from, from subduing the earth and, you know, making sure that the little tent had less bugs in it and all that kind of stuff. It was a co-reigning, co-commission. That was what it was always designed to be. We can see this theme in God's heart towards women, even on display when Hagar is sent away from the tent when Abraham has a baby with Hagar, if you guys know this story, he wanted a baby with his wife, Sarah. Sarah got off on her track. She gave him her, her handmaiden person, slave person, and then they had a baby, Ishmael. And then when Sarah got pregnant, now she's like, well, I totally regret doing that. And so they sent Hagar and Ishmael away to go die in the desert. But God sent an angel to give them food and to lead them out. If God didn't care about women, why would he do that? I'm just saying, if women were only property in God's eyes, why would he do that? And then we even see Jesus absolutely turning the culture of how the culture was looking at women completely on its head. So we're still in this really long journey, this thousands of years journey of trying to understand how God created men and women to work together. So what we see in these texts in verse 21 and 22, when Paul talks about the man being the head, he's actually giving a metaphor of a physical body. A woman's body with a man's head. This is super weird, right? But he's giving a, an image of oneness, of togetherness, of the same way that you would function in your own body with a very easeability. That's what he's talking about. I personally don't believe that he was trying to create a context that we would then use to inflict um, inferiority upon a gender. I just don't see that. That doesn't match up with the character of who God is altogether. So what does submission look like? So in what ways do you see these verses of submission not 
being used correctly or being misunderstood. Um, okay, so how has this gotten messed up? I think we all are looking at the elephant in the room. Um, we all agree that children should submit to their parents, right? <laughs> we agree with that. We don't really have the slaves anymore, so thank the Lord. <laughs> so the one that we're tackling, obviously, today is women and husbands and how does that work. So it just seems that very often we mix it up and we have that very religious thought that the man is in charge and the wife has to do whatever the man says. And if the wife can figure out how to live um, in addition to whatever those thoughts are, then great, but she better do what the man says. And in my opinion, Absolutely not what the Bible is talking about. It talks about mutual submission in the family of Christ, serving each other for the glory of God. So if you actually read what the Bible says, it talks about the women should submit to their husbands. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Okay, so that's a great first step. Um, how do you submit yourself to the Lord? It's not in a negative way, right? You submit to the Lord because he's a fantastic leader and lover and person, and you can trust him. So sometimes men can lead in a direction unlike the Lord, but the women feel like, well, the Bible says it happens to men, so, you know, like, there's a big difference between those two. Hopefully, you're realizing that. Um, so wives, submit to your husbands um, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he's the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in the Lord. Again, Pointing to the direction of how does the church itself, as the body of Christ, be led by Jesus. That's what we're going for. And then verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. So too often we make it, we make that one piece all by itself. Women submit, period. It's not what the Bible says, okay? Um, so we have to pull it in. And verse 25, so it starts with everybody submit to each other, and then Wives submit to husbands, then husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So men, give yourself up for your woman, amen, um, to make her holy, cleansing her by, the, by a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or with any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they freed and they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. So, men, there's so much to that. Like, oh my goodness. It's really hard to love yourself well, but then you have to love yourself really well and love your wife really well. There's so much servanthood inside of that. So Paul's saying the man is the head of the household. Jesus explained to Paul that the head actually means the servant of all, the one who gives up their life the most and completely surrenders their own desires and their dreams the most. That's actually the one who gets in first, right? The, the head in the kingdom of God. And so it's just so twisted. It's so messed up. But then what the Bible really tells you to do is lay down your life completely, surrender <laughs> to serve your wife and help them become everything that they're supposed to be. Amen? And wives, the same for the husband. Serving each other mutually to become everything that God's called us to be.
So there's a really practical component to this through the different seasons that go through our life, right? And so if you have little kids at home, there's different roles that you have to take on. In each season that you go through, especially in a marriage, there's probably going to be one or the other of you that's laying down more at a different season. But the goal that we're going for is not to say that you're free to do whatever you want to do, but that together there's a peaceability there in how you come to those decisions. And that we let ourselves, especially as women, that we let ourselves out of this mentality that we are by nature inferior people. When Paul meant that, that women are weaker, I do not believe he meant the way that it has become common knowledge to say women are weaker. Women are spectacular people, and so are men. And what I believe is coming in the new wineskin of what God is doing is being able to see men and women standing side by side, as was the original intention of God. So far, we've seen men doing their thing or women doing their thing, and it's so hard to find a really healthy picture of men and women together, but I genuinely believe that's what's coming. That's the, the generation that's raised, being raised up by the Lord right now, um, and I think that's part of why, you know, if you're familiar with what's happening in, like, American church right now, the millennial generation is not a part of church very much, especially Gen Z. Both of those generations really don't enjoy the church, and I do feel like how we look at women is a part of that, because they're being raised with an understanding that the patriarchal mentality that has been a part of society for so long is, is a very limiting picture, right? It's, a, it's not actually God's real heart. The way that a man runs the house as a, as a head, I think this is one of the places where it gets misunderstood because not all women are the same and not all men are the same. Amen? Right? There are some men, and I know a lot of them well, and I love this about them, that are they want to be a part of every detail. They want to know every dollar that's being spent. They want to be a part of everything that's being planned because that's how they're wired, and that's a beautiful thing. And there's women who are like that too. And then you have men who are like, I, I really don't want to know. That's like Grant. He's like, I don't really care how much the electric bill costs. I just want to make sure the lights turn on when it when it goes on, you know? And that's a beautiful thing too. And so sometimes where we get really off track is when we try to say, okay, there's one type of man that fits this image, and everybody should be like that. When that's not really what this is talking about anyway. It's talking about mutually submitting to each other and before the Lord so that you're looking at your relationship and the strengths and the weaknesses that you both bring to the table and you're adjusting accordingly. So I was Grant and I were reminiscing on this story. Our first year of marriage, the context that we were in, um, I had heard a pastor, I don't remember who it was, but I heard a pastor say something along the lines of, it was like to newlyweds, and it, um, he said, um, the best way to build trust in your relationship is for the husband to do all the finances. And it was like a whatever thought people throw out there, you know. Well, I am the kind of person that I want to be told what's the expectation and how do I meet it. Like, I love that kind of thing. Like, I, I want to be right. That's just kind of how I'm wired. So I heard that, and I'm like, oh, that's what's right. The man does the finances. Okay, so this is all going on in the subconscious of my brain. It happens to be easy. And I'm like, okay, so then if I'm going to trust my husband, then he has to do the money. So I say casually to Grant hey, I think to build trust with you, you should do the finances. And he looks at me and he's like, I hate the finances. Like, I don't want to pay the bills. I don't want to do the budget. I don't even want to care how much they get spent. He's like, you're so much better at that than I am. You should do that. And I'm sitting there going, but how can I trust you? Now, this sounds so silly, but this is really what I was thinking because when we put the word of God to this place where it should be, where we want to obey it, then it comes really conflicting when you're like, wait a second, most of you women know exactly what I'm talking about. You've all had a situation where you're like, I'm supposed to submit, but this doesn't feel right, and I don't know what to do with that now. And so Grant was like, okay, fine, I'll do it. So he's doing the finances. Of course, I was also doing the finances just to make sure. 
and we missed like two or three months of bills in a row. And I'm like, Grant, the money is in the account. Why didn't you transfer it? He looks at me, he's like, Rachel, I don't want to do that. And I was like, but how am I going to trust you? You know, this whole thing. And he's like, you're going to trust me because you trust me. And, and you're better at remembering. And I have a terrible memory, which if you know him, you know that's true, unfortunately. Bless God, amen for that. But, um, no, but he was like, he, you know, basically what we were saying was, okay, so then to be the head of the home, you need to set a reminder on your phone to pay a bill by clicking transfer money, which takes me all of 25 seconds. Are you guys tracking with me how silly this is? But this is where it gets really off track when we start to bring in other things into it. So we had so much liberation in our marriage when we, when we finally were like, okay, clearly I need to do the finances, and I actually became okay with that. So now, quite literally, occasionally I'll say to Grant, hey, this is how much we spend on food like last year. And he's like, whoa, I didn't even know that. We have a big family, you know. And he's like, do you think we could adjust that at all? And I'll look at it and I'll be like, eh, not really. And he's like, okay. That's like honestly what it looks like because there's trust there between us. There's understanding there. And he understands what his strengths are and what his weaknesses are. And I do too. There's other things that on the flip side where I'm like, man, you have to do that because if you put that in my wheelhouse, it'll just never get done. That's what, to me, it looks like for the husband to be the head of the home is giving you permission to define for yourselves what works for you. Does that make sense? So one of the things that it's not saying in this text, it's not saying the husband is the sole breadwinner. That's not in there. The head is not saying that he is the Lord of you, like that the man is the representation of Jesus as God in your home. No, Jesus is the representation of Jesus in your home. Right? But these are things, especially if you come from a conservative background, or even in our area of Oklahoma, this is like a pretty common thought. It's, it has a name, if you wondered. It's called complementarianism. Complementarianism. It's like a whole theology of women exist to complement the man. And at some level, that's kind of true. And I would say the men also exist to complement the women. But it's a very limiting worldview. Now, there are women out there who they, they desire to be at home doing all of the homemaker things, and it's so beautiful. And I'm, I know a lot of them, they're dear friends of mine, and I'm like, that's amazing. They walk into your pantry, and they just whip up the coolest dinner ever, and it's just such a beautiful thing, and that's how they're wired. But just because some women are wired like that doesn't mean that is the ascribed to picture of Christian womanhood, right? And so when we understand this, what is God really looking for in the kingdom marriage, what he's really looking for is you and your spouse to be who you are and to enjoy each other from that to be willing to go, hey, you're really good at this, go for that, right? And to kind of let go of this ideology that it has to come to God, to him, to me, and that's the way that it is. We just don't really see that. It doesn't line up with the Bible. So I feel like the Lord was saying for us today, Jesus wants to liberate you to be who he says you are. So this is a tricky thing because when we're talking about submitting to our husband's if your husband is not really walking with the Lord or he doesn't have, like, he doesn't want to be involved in a lot of different things, then what does that look like to you? Then I would say you take that to the Lord and you let Jesus define that for you because he's the one who's the most acquainted with your situation, you know? And so, and, and again, when we understand we're really mutually submitting and we're really submitting to Jesus, then I'm not limited as a woman. You're not limited as a woman by what your husband is like before the Lord. I'll give you one other example, and then, um, Grant, I'd love for you to share, like, how do we live this out? What does this look practically? But, like, in our home, in, in, in my season of burnout that I've shared with you guys a lot that happened about six or seven years ago, one of the things I've never really said was that what was going on under the surface was me trying to figure out, as a woman, how do I do the things God has called me to, 
how, and I was trying, I was desperately trying Grant for the test to make Grant into what I wanted to be for my life so that I could live vicariously through him. It was terrible. I would be like, why don't you do it like this? This is the right way to do it. And he'd be like, because that's not me. And I was just like in the back of my mind going, but if you don't become that, then I can't live vicariously for you because somehow and how it got twisted up in the story that I had learned was that as women, we live out our calling through our husbands and through side by side with them, which is code for you have to do all the things that I'm supposed to do, right? That's not what Jesus is inviting us into. And so there was all this pressure that we put on ourselves sometimes. So, um, so talk to us about how. To, what do we do with it? So, um, to round it out, I want to say something that impacted me a long time ago from Dan Cook. Uh, he said something about this is not destroy what he said. So just trust me. Um, but the idea was that if you look through all of history, every single time a country or a civilization, from the beginning of the world until now, has been thriving. They have allowed women to be who God called them and made them to be. And every single time, historically, if you go and look at civilizations that crumble and there's death and prosperity and war and all these bad things, poverty, the women are suppressed greatly by the government and they're held back and they're you know, subjects, if you will. And it just it flows every single time if you go back and look through history. And he said, so every single time God wants to bring life, he's wanting the women to be who they're called to be, who, who God sees them as. And the enemy, every single time, whether it's with government or with the church, is always going to try to keep women down and stop them from becoming who God called them to be because there's tremendous power in a woman against the enemy, right? It was Eve who... Called the stomp on the serpent, right? So there's tremendous power, and so our heart at the church, and we believe the Lord's heart is, is for everybody to become who God calls them to be in every single category, and so that definitely goes into the marriage as well. Um, so practically, Paul's not saying, just to reiterate, that the husband has to make every major decision. Paul's not saying the husband has to be charge of family finances, hallelujah, is not saying that um, the, the wife's correct place is to stay at home while the man goes and does different things. He's not saying that the head is the chief captain, but he is saying that the head is the biggest servant of all who lays down their life the most. So practically, how do we live that out? I think it all comes down to love. So there's a clear role and responsibility throughout the Bible of a man's covering over his wife and before God he will be judged on how he handles that role. Okay, so we're not we're not saying also that there's no responsibility. There is a very clear like when Eve messed up, God looked at Adam. Okay, there's a very clear role when you're connected in marriage, and so we understand that as well, and we want to honor all of it correctly. So it comes down to love, and I think God's going to look down and He's going to judge men specifically and say. Um, First, was the man submitted to Christ truly? Was he fully yielded to God? Second, did the man act out of love and servanthood to help all those around him thrive and become who God intended them to become? Or was he a bully or a slave driver or did he act out in selfish ways to boost only himself and use those around him to become what he wanted to be? 
Um, third thing I think the Lord's going to look at is did he lead at all, or did he just sit back passively and not have an opinion of what the Lord's leading was for his family specifically, right? So practically, men, you were called to rise up, and God's looking at you, square in the eyes. When there's stuff going on in your family, he's looking at you, right? But he's also not looking at you saying, make all the choices, do everything, and your wife better do whatever you say, right? It's a mutual submission, and the big question is, are you loving extremely well and helping all those around you thrive as best as you can? That's good. Um, I, was, I want to share with you two personal stories from our life. One of them is, um, it goes to the finance thing as well, but I have always loved the idea of family devotions. I didn't grow up in a home that like did any sort of Christian thing like that. And so I love the idea of, oh, a Christian marriage is like one where like the kids sit around on the couch and you like do a family devotion, you know? And I can't, I don't know how many times have we talked about this, like 200, 2,000, I don't know. And that is the expression that always comes on Grant's face. He's like, I would rather die. <laughs> and I'm like, you're a pastor. <laughs> what? And he's like, I, <laughs> he's like, I want his death to me. Like, and, and here's the thing. He disciples our kids at nighttime. He spends an hour and a half total with all collectively with the kids doing bedtime every single night. So he's like, why don't I add something else to that? I go do the Bible with each of them, you know, and I'm like, yeah, that's really cool. But I have this idea to do whatever. And he'll look at me and go, well, then you do that idea. And I'm like, well, I'm supposed to be like under you, you know, like you're the head. So I have to like get you onto my idea so that you'll do, do you guys, anybody went, any of you ladies, you don't have to admit it, but you all know there's things that we're like, oh, I didn't even realize that. And so one of the parts of liberation for me in this journey of understanding what is God really looking for in a human marriage was for me to go, it is okay for me to have ideas and to do those ideas. It's okay for me to have an idea for our family that he doesn't really love, if, unless he's like, we're not doing that. Do you understand like the difference, you know? But here's the other part I want to share that goes with that. In that same season of me, like, crumbling and trying to just make Grant into my image so badly, um, which isn't going to work. So if any of you are doing that, just quit now. It's such a hopeless uh, endeavor. But we were at our staff meeting at our previous church, and one of the people came up to me, and he gave me this prophetic word. He said, I don't know what this means, but I, I just keep seeing this picture for you. And he said, you're in this castle, and it's a huge castle, and it's looking over this enormous beautiful meadow and you're on this balcony looking at all this land that's like surrounding the castle and he said and, and it's all like and he said, i don't know it's like you have free reign in all of it i don't really know what that means and i said well i'll, I'll ask the lord about it and the lord spoke to me because i have been asking him like help me understand in our marriage what this looks like because because grant is really different from me shocker you know us at all you know that's like you know really true and the lord spoke to me about this picture and he said rachel Grant is the castle. And he said, he has given you an enormous amount of space to be yourself. And you keep trying to get him to like give you an itemized list of things to do to fulfill, but he's just built for you all of this wide open space. And it was such a powerful moment. It was a real turning point for me where I realized, okay, so for some men, if you guys are sitting here and you're a man and you're thinking, I'd love to be a part of the minutia of life, like all the details, I love it. That's great. So you take this to your wife and you work that out and say, how does this work for us to mutually submit it together in that? But not every man is like that. So if you're a man that's like, I don't really care half the time, right? Occasionally I have opinions and that's different than being passive, but it's like then, then this castle mentality works for you really beautifully because sometimes we're holding ourselves back as women 
wanting our husband to be a different type of man than the one that God gave you. So my like hope for you is that in listening to this, you're sitting here thinking, okay, how can I take you for who you are? Because that's why I married you in the first place, right? How can I take all these expectations off of you and bring it for the Lord and say, what does this really look like for us to be in partnership together, to submit to each other, for me to be able to come under your leading? What does your leading look like? All of those kinds of things. So. So just to recap, um, what the Bible says is mutual submission under Christ, right? And serve your spouse with all of your heart and lay down your life, help them become everything that they're supposed to be. If you find yourself trapped in doing things that are religious and not according to the Bible, you have freedom to realize what the Bible says and to change your ways in Jesus' name and to be free and live how God has called you to live. Um, and so we give you permission to. So what I feel like the Lord was asking us to do as we land is to really, really take this upon yourself, especially if you're married, take this upon yourself to have this conversation this week. It doesn't have to be today, but put it in your calendar. This will be on the podcast. If your spouse isn't here and they're open to listening to it, they can grab it and listen to it. But take some time to say, hey, let's talk about what does this look like in our life? How are we doing with this? Do you feel like I'm not submitting to you? This is a question that we go through sometimes because Grant has given me a lot of room to be myself, and I have a lot of ambition. I don't know what the right word I'm looking for is, but you know, I'm, not, I'm never short of ideas. I, you know, he's like, I can't even keep up with the ideas you have, and I'm like, I know it's really sad for you because I know you can't. But it's like, <laughs> but I, I'm like, you know, three years down the road and a bunch of stuff in our life, and he's like, what about tomorrow? tomorrow was three years ago, you know, and that's just kind of how my brain works, and so I have to, like, part of the way that I submit to him is by coming before him from time to time and saying, hey, how do you feel like I'm doing with this? How do, do you feel like I'm at peace with you? Do you feel like I'm trying to move you? Do you see what I'm saying? And that's what mutual submission looks like, so that is a question, and, and for the husband to ask that to your wife, too, do you, how do you feel like I'm doing as the head? How do you, you know, is there something else you need me to be doing? How can we work this out together? And just have that conversation. I think it will be something really beautiful for you um, because, again, the end goal is not to land in this sort of, like, religious, like, um, by formula, like, if we just check all these boxes, God's pleased with us type mentality. The end goal is to say we are free in Jesus, so how do we express that freedom in this marriage and in this house and with our kids and all that? So that's really that's really what we want to land. I want to pray for you, um, and I was going to say, do you want to pray for them, but you're probably so I'm going to pray for you, and um, and then we are going to be up here if you need prayer or if you have physical healing needs. We want to pray for you before we leave. Um, but yeah, Lord, we just thank you for your picture of marriage. We thank you that your picture of marriage is actually a liberating one. It's one where men and women get to come alongside of each other and really thrive and really experience your goodness um, in their family and in their home. And so I just pray for every person today that's that is in a marriage that maybe wants you to come in and do something more. Lord, we just release your healing power into every marriage today. We release your easy conversations into spouses today. And Lord, for anybody that's single or not married, Father, we just ask for you to bring into mind how they can live free before you and what you're speaking into them to be liberated men and women of God. Lord, we thank you and I bless every person in here to be filled with the presence of Jesus all the days of their life. Lord, we pray for this week as they 
head into holiday season that the peace of God would surpass every experience they're going to encounter um, this next month. And we love you, Jesus. Amen. 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 So if you need prayer, come on up. Otherwise, have an awesome